0: Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to
1: Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen. Pat McLean. Thank you for being part of our program here today. We talk about financial matters Talk about investing, financial planning, saving retirement, for retirement, all college, kinds of excitement. college funding. Yeah, both myself and my co-host are both practicing financial advisors. We spend the weekdays helping people plan their futures, and we are here on the weekends broadcasting to be your financial advisors on the air. So whether you're listening to us, whether whether you've got a financial advisors you work with now, or you do things on your own, we want this to be a place for additional information
2: and. Um, Hopefully, some thought-provoking. I was, but if they're ideas. listening to um, a, I, a podcast, I think that would be narrowcasting, not broadcasting. I stand corrected. Thank you, Pat.
1: Okay. There we go. <laughs> so, anyway, um, I think we've got a good program lined up today because we put it together. But uh, no, our, the second half of the program we're, we're going to be joined by Andy Stout, our chief investment officer. We're going to get go a little
2: deeper into um the markets and what's going on and inflation and you so you look at you look at what happened uh the fires in the west um and we're in the sacramento we broadcast out of the sacramento or Narrowcast out of the sacramento area <laughs> um and they so far there's been 660 homes they think that have at least have burned down you look at the in uh new orleans You look at the flooding in New York City that is happening in New Jersey, and you wonder, is this not a little – will this not be a little bit inflationary? Is this enough to start driving inflation uh, significantly because all of a sudden there will be demands on the system, and the system is having a hard enough time actually getting it through, right, products and goods to the consumer, Think about all the automobiles that have lost in parts of the U.S. Because I just, just this item. Um,
1: I think on Thursday, General Motors said they're going to idle all of their plants because they can't get the um, the chips, the parts they need.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So there's there's a couple. I had my car in for service at the dealership a week or so ago. The showroom there was literally one car inside the showroom, and I was talking to the uh, service manager guy, and I was like. I said, "This must be a big challenge for you guys. You don't have any cars to sell." He says, "You have no idea." And then he said, "There's, there's container, there's those big container ships full of cars, like out in the Long Beach Harbor."
2: Yeah, I read there were forty-four of them, the most ever.
1: He said they're just. He says the cars are all ready to go. They're just waiting for their last little uh, uh, electronics to be plugged in. That's all they're waiting for. A little chick, stick that thing in, and
2: this is inflationary. We'll, we'll talk to Andy Stout about that in a second. It is half the of most bizarrest
1: of times. I must.
2: Yes. I've got to tell
1: you, yeah, uh, uh, the financial markets, it's like it doesn't matter what the bad news is, it charges ahead. And keep this in mind, next time the markets go south, which they will at some point in time, you're going to have all the pundits on there, all the reasons why it's going south. Don't believe any of it. because it's. <laughs> Nor should you believe uh, <laughs> why it's going correct. up either. We
2: can't
1: right. necessarily predict those. You can't predict the financial markets. Over, with, over short periods of time. Over short periods of time. It's um, it is the most bizarre. It's a strange times. thing.
2: You just wonder if it's... There's just...
1: an article. No, I saw this article. It was I was frustrated this last week reading the Wall Street Journal, which I for somehow I've be, I'm almost like addicted to the thing. I read every article, not every article, but I, I if I skip a day, I go back and read the previous days. It's all on digital, of course, but um, it's become it's almost like People Magazine for people in business well, that, right? since Rupert Murdoch <laughs> and I mean, team it, bought I, it. I think it's gotten a lot better, frankly. It's uh, do you really? The nice short little stories I can oh. catch up here. If I want more research on something, I can go somewhere else for it. It's perfect.
2: I, I shouldn't say it's perfect. I miss uh, the old uh, but the, there's a Street a But
1: there was a, there was a an, question related to a few financial advisors on uh, how you should invest money for if you're going to be buying a house in the short term. And what were the answers? Well, the one advisor is like it's got to have to be in cash except a low rate of return. But other ones, they never really quite stated what it was, but like maybe only half – in cash, the other half half invested in the market. They never quite described what the market was. And I remember just scratching my head like this is at a time when stock prices have had a phenomenal run. Real estate. I remember I remember in 2000 talking to a guy who had his property tax money invested in a uh, some tech.com tech mutual fund. Remember when the dot coms? And he told me that I looked at him like he was from Mars. I'm like it was the most bizarre thing that's where he had his, the money that he was going to pay for his property taxes. He had invested in this, in this fund because things are going so well. And of course, by the time he needed the money, the, the money was full
2: turn. I mean, short term, it's anyone's guess. How big was his property tax bill that he actually allocated that to an investment?
1: Whatever it was. <laughs> it was I mean, it just what kind of financial planning is that? Yes. I mean, the thing is, look, if you've got a long time horizon, you could afford to deal with the ups and downs. Matter of fact, you get compensated for dealing with those ups and downs by a higher rate of return.
2: A short time horizon. It, you better just... the risk premium. It's called a risk premium for a reason. Your returns above and beyond that of bank guarantees is a risk premium. It's called it's called in academic circles. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right. Okay, all right. <laughs> Who else out there?
1: If you look at the capital asset pricing model. <laughs> okay, I, for, I uh, forgive me. Okay, I'm doing a radio show. <laughs> It's called Risk Premium for a reason. Anyway, if you want to join our show, I'd love to take your call uh, to to be part of the program. 833-99-WORTH is the number. 833-99-WORTH. Numerically, it's eight three three triple nine, six seven eight four. 6784 And let's talk to, we're going to start off here with uh, Dennis in Northern California. Dennis, you're with All Worth's Money Matters.
3: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Uh, I'm a big fan of your show. Thank you for all the uh, sage advice you guys oh. give out each week. Well, well thank you for you, thank uh,
2: you. for listening. We we wouldn't be here <laughs> if you weren't there. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <So> <laughs> no question. It's kind of a symbiotic all relationship. Eight of you. It's symbiotic.
3: My question is about a long-term uh, care policy that we have. Uh, we're being offered some options. And um, we're not sure which way to go.
1: What are the options? Are you a, uh, a California employee retired? retiree? Yes. Okay. Retired
3: California employee. My wife and I joined the CalPERS long-term care program when it started in 1995.
1: Um, the uh, and just for um, just for people outside of California, the California um, the, the retirement system, CalPERS. Public Employee Retirement System, they decided to help with... the. I think the goal was to help with their members by working with some insurance companies or an insurance company to come up with a group policy of sorts to offer to their members that members could buy into a long-term care policy. Uh, back in the 90s, early, ni- mid-90s, when interest rates were quite a bit higher, uh, insurance companies didn't have a lot of experience in long-term care insurance. It was relatively new product, and so... Uh, Dennis, continue on.
3: So, at the time when we joined, there were uh, promises that rates would not uh, rise, uh, but in fact, of course, for the last you know 26 years, we've been paying into it. Rates have risen, and there was a class action lawsuit brought about that. And what we're facing right now are choices from the fund itself and choices from. The settlement. Yes. So, from the fund itself, um, we currently are paying two hundred and seventy-eight dollars each per month uh, for the plan, which is a total of about six thousand six hundred dollars a year.
2: And what does the plan cover? What does it give you?
3: The plan currently, it's it's an excellent plan at the moment. uh, We're each covered for four hundred and twenty-seven dollars per day maximum in nursing homes. Less than that for in home care or yeah. for assisted living care um it includes an inflation factor, and there are no limits either on time or on money paid out
2: and is there so, a elimination or wait period before it begins p- making its first payment
3: um there there is, and I don't recall
2: probably I don't ninety remember days
3: if it's one month or three months. I don't okay. remember which it is already yes um so anyway it calpers is um uh, in order to keep um, our payment the same, by about a couple weeks ago, we would have had to have opted for a decrease in those benefits, putting a cap of something like 900 some 1000 dollars on it uh, on the on the payout. Um, and we, we passed on that, so that option's off the table. Um, but in November, it's going to jump to 427 a month. Which will be for the two of us about ten thousand two hundred a year, and then next year it's supposed to jump again, and the total would be about twelve thousand eight hundred a year to maintain that yeah. kind of Cadillac version. What of is the what?
1: What about? I mean, so here's how I try I view long-term care insurance. It's most most families can can fund a shorter stay, a year, two years, even. It's the long-term one. It's the Early onset of Alzheimer's or something else where it's several years or even more than a decade, right? That and that's where it can be uh, totally devastating to a family's finances—the longer term one. And a lot of policies, yeah. uh, people buy policies with these short waiting periods, like they call elimination period, or I think that's what they're called. Right? Yes. Yeah. So it's it's like a deductible on an on, on auto insurance or deductible on homeowners insurance. And, but people oftentimes will have these really short ones. Well, if you look at statistically, I mean, last I looked, a, a male, when he goes into a long-term care facilities, it's a little less than a year. Typical woman's a little less than two years. It, it tends to be your last stop on the way out, right? I mean, uh, most people at that at that stage, when you're in a nursing home, it's kind of your last last chapter there. And. Um, so, so it's those shorter things, the the typical things that many people can self insure for. It's the longer things that they cannot. So one of the reasons that Pat had asked, like, how long is the waiting period on this? If it, one way to try to structure this, if if this policy will allow, and I'm not sure, is to structure a longer waiting period, like a two year waiting period, or a year, or two years even. Does Get it allow for that? That?
3: Is not, that that wasn't in the offer from uh, Calpers. If you want to. Avoid the increases, but the settlement is giving us other options. Okay. One is um, to just receive the amount we've paid in, and your and your um, uh, benefit is canceled. And we've paid in just shy of eighty thousand dollars over the years. But and that would pay for about six months in a nursing home at yeah, today's yeah, prices. Yeah, yeah. So that's not really. Uh, an option and, for and, us. And, or ha, using Dennis, how old are you? To, um, I'm 69. My wife is 68. Okay, so still um, young. We both, yeah, we're both in pretty good health, but we also both have um, chronic, uh, long-term issues that could lead to a substantial nursing home stay okay. someday. Um So that option is out for us. Because neither of us could go out and buy yeah. new long-term care insurance um, with our health histories. The, the next option um, is that they would take uh, – this in the settlement, they would take that $80,000, and they would go out and find um, another plan for which we wouldn't have to pay any additional monthly um, fees for. But
1: That's not going to get only, much out of there.
3: Exactly. And when is that medically? Is be that, is
1: about, does that, be, do you have to underwrite for that as well?
3: No, there's okay. no underwriting for it. No underwriting for it, but it'll only pay up to $185 yeah. a day yeah. for three years. Yeah. Which Forget it. You don't need that. Yeah. worth about $200,000. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because the other yeah. insurance company doesn't want the risk either. that's why they and and part of what's happened and and anyone who's owned long-term care insurance dennis
1: has had experiences not quite as bad as what calpers has had because i'm going to disagree
2: scott okay and the reason i disagree was is because this was mispriced to begin with well that's what i was it was okay and then they didn't when they should have repriced it years ago
1: they didn't so it went years looking like it was a great deal and all of a sudden whammo um it was a shock to to many people but but it's 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 two issues that the insurance companies have dealt with. One is they paid out much more claims than they originally underwritten for. Them. So they they just didn't think it would be as highly used as it was. So um, kind of like with people have if an insurance company had a lot of fire insurance in Northern California or a lot of flood insurance in uh, Louisiana. that's <laughs> Claims are much greater than they
2: were. And they didn't have great uh, experience underwriting morbidity risk. So disability policies happens the same thing and long-term care they had insurance companies had great experience in writing mortality or life insurance policies because they had been doing it for so many years and people have been keeping track of mortality for since the beginning of time but morbidity is something completely different and so they mispriced the claims um environment in which they thought they might live in and second thing is the low interest rates so I you, mean you bought this thing when interest rates were in the 8s and 9. Well I mean the insurance companies when they get the premiums they put them in they
1: invest it for their reserves for when they have to make claims. And and they can't they can't take on risks like long-term investors can like oh we're not going to need these dollars for 10 years so let's go ahead and invest it in the stock market. They have to be very conservative with it so it's in mostly fixed income some shorter term fixed income treasuries. I mean their their portfolios are earning such paltry returns and that's where they used to get a big chunk of the of the the revenue they needed to pay out the claims. So it's like this double whammy that's hit the insurance companies, and now it's hitting you. And so, Dennis, what do
2: you think you should do?
3: Well, um, we're thinking of uh, not taking any of the offers uh, of the settlement at all, and staying with CalPERS. And um, in although we had an option, a selection for. Reducing our um, payments by reducing the benefits Mm -hmm. that we pass on. uh, A couple weeks ago, we'll probably have that same option when they bring about the second increase in 2022. And the the option that we passed on, we're kind of regretting it maybe, is it would stay at the same maximum of $427 a day and continue to be inflation-adjusted, um, but there would be a lifetime cap of $935,000. So, um, and it covers, as I say, in-home care and assisted Here's, living so care here, in addition here. to nursing home care. So I know um, my mother-in-law had this uh, policy, and uh, it paid out for a number of years, including was at least two or three years in nursing home care. And it didn't come close to actually covering the full amount. You know, it covered maybe seventy five percent of the amount.
1: So I mean you're essentially you're gonna you're gonna be stuck with a a four thousand dollar increase next year and then then six thousand dollar a year increase, right? So the next mm-hmm. ten years you're looking at maybe an extra sixty grand into this Well that's not an increase it's just payments so it's how much no, is the increase is it an increase yeah yeah from sixty six hundred dollars a year to twelve thousand eight hundred a year so you'll be in two years from now you'll be paying about six grand double what you're paying today okay so yeah. the question i would look here's how i would look at it. You, you you said that you you both have some chronic illnesses that could re, that's probably going to increase increases your odds c- c- compared to the typical 69 to 68 year old couple right yeah
3: that's our so, feeling although we're in
1: no, yeah, well, that. that's how insurance works, you're taking, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're trying to minimize risks here, and so I would look at it like: Could do you have enough cash so that if sixty thousand dollars were spent over the next decade on additional long-term care insurance premiums, is not going to impact your lifestyle whatsoever? If that's the case, pay I would it. Just,
3: that is the case.
2: Then, and then, it. then pay it. or self-insure. What's your overall net worth?
3: We have about three million in our um, retirement savings. And our pensions and uh, social security all combined is about two hundred and fifty nine thousand a year.
2: Okay, and are you spending any of that three million?
3: Um, sometimes, you know, like when we put solar on the, okay. the roof. I would well, keep this.
2: I, I would, I would keep it too. And here's, I mean, just from the Because it's basic, not going to really matter at the end of the day. You're just going to feel better about it. You're just insuring yes. a portion and, of your portfolio. And your
1: family will feel better about it if they've got these dollars coming. in. It'll be much easier for them making decisions if that, if you ever have to get to that.
2: Point what you're doing is, is you're insuring a portion of your in, retirement. It's passed down it, to, to get passed down. That's what the insurance because you have enough money that you could self-insure. The only thing I would look into is if you can uh, if you can lengthen that waiting period. Hmm. But it's highly unlikely that they're going to do customized probably, in probably in, this in a settlement at yeah. this. Yeah, point.
3: Yeah, they haven't. They they um, this last August, uh, what they did was offer three options. Calpers. and by by the way you couldn't buy this today you couldn't buy this today even at this price this is not
2: this is not poorly priced relative to the market you've probably shopped it well he's not insured you're probably not insurable today
0: even if he was it's still not not. but he's not but also
3: that's the bigger issue um the the program is closed to any new yeah that's that's correct i'd keep
2: it yeah it probably should have never been opened in the first place quite frankly and you
1: can't, yeah. you know, the hard thing about insurance is you look back and you think we've been paying these premiums since ninety. Well, you also had the insurance all those years, right? It's like, yeah, like when you have when you have your homeowner's insurance and your house doesn't burn down, you, you don't can, get mad about it. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> <Not> really. <laughs> insurance, no one likes paying insurance like, premiums. Right? You know, I, mean, I paid in over I hate insurance premiums. I paid over
2: $100,000 in insurance on my house and it never burned down. <laughs> I am really upset. So, no, you're you're fine either way, but I, I like the it. idea Even, of
1: keeping it. I did too.
2: And yeah. if it makes you feel okay. better, take a take a
1: slunk of your, a chunk of your cash, your investments, make a separate account, and say this is going to pay the long-term care insurance premium, so you don't feel like it's coming out of your, your annual expenditures.
3: Yeah. Well, actually, it comes out of our uh, pension checks, so we don't yeah. even see it. Perfect. All right. Perfect. It, it's, it's been like a Social Security tax or something. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> uh, 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 perfect.
1: Thank you. Appreciate the call. <laughs> yeah. Well, good luck, Dennis.
2: I'm glad you called. I know a lot of people are in similar situations. And, and Scott, the way these long-term care policies were, were sold back in the day was your premium will never go up, which was misleading. Because your individual premium can't be isolated to go up, but the risk pool that in which you exist, it can yes. go up. It was misleading. Yeah, they were all sold that way. They were all sold that way. As was life insurance is sold that way. Universal life, your cost of insurance will never go up. Well, the insurance companies <laughs> they pull risk, and once a risk bucket is full, they move on to the next risk bucket, and that risk bucket lives in and of itself. Yeah, in most situations. Uh, let's go to the next call here. We're talking with Hank. Hank, you're with Allworth's Money Matters.
3: Hi, Hank. Oh, hi, Scott and Pat. Thanks hi. for take, yeah, taking Yeah, Hank had my probably call. fallen
1: asleep after a long, long-term long care discussion we are having. But go ahead. Yeah,
4: I was waiting. <laughs> uh, a little uh, background.
3: My wife and I have been to all of your seminars pre- COVID, and I got your book, and... Well, I bear, I, can't I, can't, I, can't, I don't know if this
1: is a compliment or not, because he says he's basically uh, uh, consumed all of our educational resources, but yet still has a question. Is that what, right? <laughs> yeah. So we missed something here. So.
2: Obviously, <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny.
1: Got a master's degree somewhere, like, wait a minute, like, how does this work? Right, so what is your question for us, thank
3: well, after I, I read your book, I didn't have umbrella insurance, so I got got some and I got two million. Okay. And my question is how much should I have?
2: Oh great, great question. Great question. I mean, kind of a
1: rule of thumb is you have as much uh, umbrella coverage as your is your net worth. And and umbrella insurance it it tends to cover Things that may be above and beyond your homeowner's insurance or above the clearly the
2: limits that would be on. Uh, right. And it's an umbrella over both your homeowner's insurance as and well your auto you. or boat. And you. And you.
1: It protects things right. like you're driving down the road one morning and some uh, young physicians out for a jog and you don't see them and you, you run them over. Uh, and suddenly, they, what's? I'm just saying this. What's the future value of that income that that he's no longer going to be there for his family? And suddenly, there's a multi-million or, or dollars, she or she, excuse me, most likely she now. By the way, what's the like? How much income is that going to be? And then suddenly, there's a eight
2: million dollars judgment against an individual. And if you have eight million dollars, they can get it. If, if you, you don't have, have 8, eight million eight hundred thousand, then they can get that. So, what you have two million dollars of umbrella coverage? Is that what you said? Yes, and how, yep. what's your overall net worth?
4: Maybe five
2: point five. Oh, you need, and do you have grandkids that come over? Uh, right? Do you, do, you uh, have, do you? No. Okay. No. It's so when I think about it, I think about what are the what are the risks? And that I are? have lo- I have umbrella insurance. Oh, I I do as well. I I won't state that my coverage on the air because I don't want people coming to my house and slipping and falling. <laughs> 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 my, my attorney friends, my personal injury attorney friends invite themselves over. Can't bring my kids over for a swim. My business card turns into a sponge. Um, so w- w- you look at the risk that you're exposed to. So if you're exposed to um, significant risk, kids coming over, grandkids, teenagers in the house, new drivers, Right. Maybe you're you're mm-hmm. you're not the best driver. I'm not the best driver. You, you should got probably have doberman pinchers that you raise you, pit pit bulls. Let's go through the breeds. <laughs> um, you should probably have five million. And by the way, it's not five million dollars. Isn't twice as much as two it's million dollars? Negligible. Yeah, it's a few hundred th- a few hundred dollars more. So move it to five million. And it, and and it could it be that your insurance agent says, you know, th- your
1: insurance company. Is they personally take on risk up to four million? They're going to have to go to reinsurance pool after that. So it might be a big price jump from a certain one million dollar mark to the next. Every insurance company. So you might want to price those things in. Um, just get some quotes from your from your agent on what would make the most sense for you. But uh, no question, at, at five, if five million dollars, I would have more than two million dollars of coverage. And for the the rest of us out here listening, like if you don't have umbrella insurance, that is it's cheap for Get what it. the benefits is odds it. are it's not going to be used but if you need it you're going to be glad you've got it uh, we're taking a quick break uh, when we come back we're going to be joined by Andy Stout our chief investment officer so stick around for more all-worth money matters <laughs>
0: Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit slash radio to listen to the Money Matters Podcast.
1: Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McClain, thanks for staying with us. We hope you are. It's a nice thing about podcasts, you can uh, uh,
2: move on. I've got a buddy listens to everything like one and a half times. That would drive me crazy. Someone was telling me that did that the other day, too. So what happens? You get home and your wife's talking to you. She's not talking fast enough. You're like, you got to well, talk She's talking faster. fast enough
1: anyway. <laughs> it was hilarious. My wife, my wife and we've been together more than thirty years. <clears throat> and uh, I've got, well, I blew out an eardrum years ago and I had to get repaired. Wakeboarding, yes, but it's never quite the same. So I've got this that everyone has to. The, the volume has to be above the level of buzz in my ear, or I can't hear. I just got this, and she knows that. And we've had this conversation many times. Like. And so it was a few weeks ago, I'm like, hey, babe, I, I, I cannot hear you. I'm sorry, but when you are on the other side of the room and you're talking to me, I can't hear you. And she says, well, you know, she says, your friends all tell me the same thing they can. But then again, I don't think your friends want to hear me. So she says to me, <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those things like, what do, do I respond? <laughs> <laughs> <Like how? laughs> your friends. That's what she said. Like, do I respond to this one? Oh and no, honey, they love hearing it. Like,
2: uh... <laughs> you're like you're not, How I'm, do I answer that? I'm not biting no, no, on, no. I'm not biting I on I just that. stared.
1: <laughs> right. I've learned actually many years of marriage. You just oftentimes you just don't you just kinda
2: wait until like, do you want me to respond? You just say, Hey, can we talk after I'm finished folding the clothes? <laughs> Emptying the dishwasher. <laughs> Something really household centric. Hold on, babe. I'm cleaning the windows. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah. Right. All
2: right.
1: <laughs> We're going to be joined. I don't know. How do we get on the tangent? We're going to be joined by Andy Stout here in a couple minutes, but to kind of kick things off, this just came out in the Wall Street Journal a couple days
2: ago. And you've, if you've listened to this program for a while, you know that we've talked about these SPACs. We talk as negatively about uh, special purpose acquisition companies as we do about indexed annuities.
0: Yes. And, and
2: non-traded limited partnerships. Yes, I'm trying to think, like, those are good torture
1: vehicles, all of them, right?
2: Right, and and because many things are designed by the Wall Street that isn't necessarily good for the consumers. And when SPACs got popular, what, nine months, a year ago, we came out and said, watch what happens. It's going to take a while before these things start blowing up, but they will blow up. So this, and it's a way way to circumvent going on an IPO,
1: and a way for the sponsors— To make a ton of money. And with promoters. With little
2: little or no disclosure.
1: Correct. They call them blank check companies.
2: Yeah. Just this is us. This is our thesis. We're actually, we haven't even bought a company. We don't even really know what company it is, but give us some money. Then we're going to go and find a company. So this
1: was in kind of the crest, the peak of these SPAC boom was in mid February of this year. And so six months after this, (laughs) <laughs> the sell-off has wiped out $75 billion out of the value of those companies that have gone public through these SPACs. A group of 137 SPACs that was looked at through the Wall Street Journal's team here from mid-February have lost 25% of their combined value.
2: When the market is up.
1: And this the analysis doesn't even include the companies that haven't closed mergers yet. So these are the ones that have... Said the blank check companies, give us your money, we'll tell you later what we're going to buy. Right? Just
2: trust us.
1: So, this is the time 25% decline, the same time when those companies uh, that the exchange traded funds that track companies that all companies that went public, all IPOs are down 12% since that period of time, while the Dow Jones has gained
2: 13%. Go figure. It, th- does any of this surprise you? None whatsoever. None. But the sponsors, the people that put the SPACs together, get rich. Well, the whole. You're buying a pig in yeah. a poke, is my grandfather is a pig would and, say. What does that mean? What is a poke? Think it, a poke is a. I think it's a crate <laughs> that, that you can't really see through. I believe that's what a poke is. I will look it up on the okay. break. <laughs> Thank you. A pig in <laughs> a poke. Yeah, I need to know.
1: But um, I, it, it's. And we see this time and time again with investments, right? People get excited. It's kind of that. Hey, here's an opportunity. I can get wealthy quickly. Whether it's the meme stocks, the Game Stock, or the Bitcoins, or the it's some digital currency. Short. It's a. It's. <laughs> it's. It's a shortcut to wealth. Instead of having to work hard and save, uh, I'm just going to invest in some things, or I'm going to take my hard-earned savings. And instead of just relying on whatever the market's going to give me, I'm going to find something that is going to yield excess returns. It, and in 90, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, it does not work out well. It does for some. For some.
2: Some people go to Las Vegas and win a lot of money. Most people don't. Most people don't. Some people get rich on the lottery. Some. Most people don't. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point
1: I guess if you both uh, like to gamble and play the lottery maybe SPACs are fine for you Purpose just have it a small piece of your portfolio yes but it's, the, it's the, again it's, it's like and we had all these uh, celebrities and athletes get behind them like just because you know how to play basketball well why should I think you're great at running a <laughs> company or figuring out the best companies and it's crazy
2: there's no such thing as a free lunch that's interesting in fact, when they try to buy you a free lunch, don't go. That's right. <laughs> that's right. They're selling you something. Anyway. All right, Actually, we- that's why if you ever attend one of our workshops, we always have water at the workshops. <laughs> yeah. Well, to your point, I mean... Uh, we do put out cookies and, in, in, like,
0: we yeah. We've
1: never been one to, like, buy steak dinners and stuff because... Yeah. It, I don't want anyone to feel any... And on one of it's got to be, yeah, no, gotta be no. educational based. Anyway, enough of that. Uh, so Andy Stout is joining us. Andy um, is our chief investment officer. Andy is uh, highly educated, master's in finance of some sort, as well as a sort of uh, a chartered financial analyst. Um, and Andy oversees Allworth's investment portfolio, which is a roughly thirteen billion dollars. So, Andy, thanks for taking a little time to be part of us uh, the show here on Money Matters.
4: More than happy to be here, Scott and Pat.
1: And just out of curiosity, because while w- w- more people were in the office a couple months ago uh, with the Delta variant and stuff, and people like a lot of people were working remotely, where are you at this moment?
4: I am currently sitting in my study, looking out some trees out the window uh, with the Delta variant just running rampant. <laughs> okay.
1: And you're in Cincinnati?
4: I'm fine right here. I can be just as effective right here. Team is spread out across the country. We talk regularly. <laughs> so, this honestly really hasn't affected me at all.
1: Which is interesting because I think obviously no, the market believes that working remotely is not impacting anything. Um, so, at least yeah. in the short term. Well, I mean, it's the craziest thing. How much? I mean, the yeah, markets just keeps roaring. You ahead. just
2: worry about the lack of collaboration and creativity that is created when groups of people come together. Or put another way, maybe the chaos and division when groups are put <laughs> together. <laughs>
1: anyway, so uh, Andy, you're on to talk tell us uh, what your perspective uh, is on the markets and things right now. But uh, and actually, we have some pointed questions. Like, the Fed's tapering, right? The Fed. Federal Reserve. First of all, how much do you think the Federal Reserve is responsible for the market gains this year? Just out of your curiosity, your opinion.
4: Well, they're part of it. I mean, whenever the Fed pumps money into the economy, it does slosh around and it can find its way into helping to boost asset prices. But you know, from a bigger perspective, even without that, I think we'd still probably be in good shape. I mean, if you look at earnings, from what companies are making. Uh, If we look at the second quarter of this year, compared to the second quarter of last year, I know and I completely understand we were pretty much shut down last year. But earnings were 96% higher compared to the same time last year. Wall Street, uh, they they were expecting a big increase, but only, and I say only, a little uh, facetiously, 65%. So we completely blew that out. Earnings are really the ultimate driver of stock prices. Earnings in recessions. Because we have recessions and earnings decline.
2: Andy, what what is the earnings relative to two thousand
4: nineteen? We're at record levels. If you just look at the total level of earnings overall, and our GDP so just to
1: surpass pre pandemic levels as well, right? Our overall yes. GDPs.
4: Yeah, is, yeah. So on GDP, yes, we're above pre pandemic levels. What we're not above on GDP, though, uh, admittedly, is the trend level for where we would have been in the absence of the pandemic. Clearly, so when we look at that. We're not quite there yet. Uh, when we look at the total earnings path, though, uh, as far as the overall earnings per share, we are above 2019 levels. the end of 2019, the total earnings for the S&P 500, which is uh, your 500 largest uh, stocks in the country, was $164 per share. And right now, we're at about 200 So, well above that.
2: And are you worried about inflation at all? We At the beginning of the show— uh, we talked a little bit about some of the natural disasters uh, that are taking place across the U.S. may actually lead to a more inflationary environment. What are your thoughts on inflation? And and then dig in a little bit on the Fed's easing.
4: So when I think about inflation, I think far too many people and everything you read out there in the mainstream media, they talk in absolutes. There's no absolutes in this world. I, gotta, I have to think in probabilities. My base case scenario when we think about inflation is that it stays elevated really through the early part of next year before falling off. Now, there are risks to the upside and the downside. A lot of people don't think about the downside risk of inflation, but they're there, too. But I would say it is more to the upside because, uh, I mean, there's certainly a few things in there that are obviously causing inflation, supply chain dislocation. You know, people, I mean, might be pulling back now a little bit with the Delta variant, but getting out and spending more money the monetary policy, the potentially humongous fiscal policy, that's that three point five trillion spending plan that's uh, hitting a little bit of a roadblock right now, but making its way right through Congress is that one trillion infrastructure plan. Uh, employers they have to pay money right now to get people off the sidelines. Right, there's 10 million job openings. That's a record number of job openings here in the country. And when you look at the number of unemployed, we're still about five six million short of where we were before the pandemic began back in February of 2020. That was the high level of employment. So we're still not there yet. So employers still have to. So pay you, up you, a just uh, for clarity,
1: there's five to six million people less workers today than uh, pre pandemic.
4: That is correct. Wow.
1: thats I mean, that's a staggering yeah. number.
4: Yeah. And if you adjust for the people who just aren't looking for a job, because if you look at the unemployment rate right now, it's about you know, 54 or 5.2%. If you adjust that for the number of people who just aren't looking for a job, we're closer to like 7.8% in that area. So, so there's still a ways to go for the job market to heal.
2: So is the participation rate then relative to pre-COVID? What does that look like?
4: Well, if we look at just the overall participation rate and uh, where we're at right now, it's uh, sitting around sixty-one point seven percent, I think, in that general area. So, by the way, we don't. Annie doesn't
1: know what questions we're asking ahead of time. It's just I'm always fascinated by the that you remember some of these numbers. But
2: okay, so sixty-one point seven now, and what do you think it was pre-COVID?
4: Uh it was about sixty three, give or take. And but if you just look at, you know, it's just like a twenty year chart, if you will, it's been moving down. I mean so that's no secret. So a you, lot of that is just demographics.
2: Will you explain to our labor. Could you do us a favor and explain to our listeners what participation rate means and what the difference between participation rate and unemployment rate is? And we always we have a tendency to see the unemployment rate in the paper, but I think actually maybe i'm wrong i think participation rate is probably the more relevant yeah. of the two uh, statistics Agreed. so explain the difference well, to us please
4: well when you think about the population of the united states we have our our total population right and that's you know 300 million or 330 whatever it is somewhere in that general area but that's not everybody that's looking for a job so then we look at the labor force uh, which is just the number of people looking for a job. And when we think about the the participation rate when, in terms of the unemployment rate, you know that's a little bit different. So we're looking at the labor force and basically how many people are actively looking for a job as a percent of the labor force. And the labor force is just people who are uh, eligible, if you will, for a job. And what I so think is really fascinating,
1: a- if you look, the participation rate for able-bodied— I'm, I'm going to pick out a class of people— right? Men in their 20s has declined every year, continues to decline. And
2: what that means is they're not even looking for Correct. a job. I don't know if they're still living in their parents' basement, playing video games or what. Well, that is one of the reasons I actually don't have a basement.
4: Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's a good reason there, Pat. Uh, now, one thing that could be a little tough to gauge when we think about the uh, people in their 20s is also the gig economy and how that's affecting things. So there's just a lot of moving pieces out there, and everything may not be captured completely accurately. Gig economy is like your Uber drivers and things like that. Yeah. So and when we think about the unemployment rate, that's just the percent of people uh, who are saying they are unemployed and looking for a job. So it doesn't account people who aren't looking for a job. So they, so, so basically
1: the when part, they fill out their report that they have to do to make sure their unemployment check keeps coming, they say, oh, yes, I'm actively looking for work. Is that right? Uh, yes, yeah, that's
4: basically it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because those it's 15 not, fast like, food
2: places I drove by today didn't have signs <laughs> no, <I know>. up. <laughs> it's impossible. I can't find <laughs> I a job I anywhere. I didn't see a, a single <laughs> sign on my way to the office, office today that didn't say – Every one of them said looking for employees. Actually, I heard an ad this morning on the radio for a uh, casino that was actually not even – for promoting the casino, it was just why you I should work. I heard the work, same ad. Why you should work at the casino. So
1: t- tell me, I us- mean, we know how hard it is to find people, too. I mean, it, I mean, you you might mention, Pat, that it's the uh, fast entry-level jobs, but – at every level, highly skilled jobs—it's—it's it's just hard to get people right now. It is hard to get. People. And We have people who say, well, "Yeah, I want to come work for Amazon Allworth," and then they.
4: Yesterday, said Amazon's not going to, or this week said they're not going to be testing for marijuana for their drivers, so they're.
1: For their drivers,
4: your, your Amazon package could be getting delivered by someone who might be, uh, you know, currently high at the time. Well, actually, I just assumed they were. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Fair enough. <laughs> That's terrible. I'm joking. That's I am joking. joking. That just—it's too good of <laughs> a joke
0: to pass up. <laughs> I to apologize.
1: <laughs> I they were. All right, we got to get back to more serious matters than all this. So inflation. Second, I mean, look, if, 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 when we talk about inflation, worry like as as leaders of an organization that works with retirees. One of my number one concerns is inflation. And if we have inflation, how do we make sure that we have our clients structured in such a manner so they have the highest probability of maintaining their current standard of living until their dying day? And if you own fixed income
2: and that's all you own. That's a problem. It's an issue.
4: The good thing about owning some equities in the stock market is that their earnings grow with inflation. So that's why stocks are a, definition. A, a pretty good inflation
1: hedge. You're not going to have inflation without rising prices. And you're not going to. That's the prices. definition of inflation.
2: Yes. So exactly. th- th- talk a little bit about the. Well, first of all, you had mentioned a couple things. The the the, the bills in Congress with these trillions, you know, $3.5 trillion here, trillion dollars there. You add up, you know, you add enough trillions, it starts to add enough to real money. Um, what are the chances? That joke wasn't as funny as the one a minute ago, by the way. <laughs> Are those? Uh, what are the chances that those are going to pass? And if they do pass, what are the chances that we're going to see an increase in capital gains rates? And will that have a dampening effect on the economy, in your opinion?
4: Well, anytime you do see higher taxes, that's usually not a good thing for the overall economy, and it can be reflected in stock price. I think you know we talk a lot about the Delta variant. We talk about inflation and the Federal Reserve. I think your biggest risk might be higher taxes, and a lot of people aren't really talking about that. But if we look at what's going on with the the two packages out there, the 3.5 trillion and the one trillion dollar infrastructure package, the 3.5 trillion, it's hit a little bit of a roadblock right now with Joe Manchin, uh, the West Virginia senator, saying, "Hey, Democrats, let's slow things down," and he is the key swing vote there for the Democrats because he's often uh, sided with Republicans on a few things, so that could slow down this getting through. I think something still gets pushed through and might get a little watered down from where it is now. Uh, but I think that still happens. I think the one trillion one will still happen. I mean the one trillion is a little misleading because it's really 550 billion of new spending and 450 billion of spending they already said they were going to do on infrastructure. So it's really not much new spending well not much 550 billion still you know still a lot. And the question is how would we pay for it, right? We could see higher corporate taxes uh, higher capital gains taxes. Uh, President Biden uh, ran basically on the premise of raising the corporate ca- uh, corporate tax rate from 22 percent to 28 percent. That's already gotten a lot of pushback uh, from Democrats. And it seems likely that if it does get raised, it probably will. It probably goes to about 25 percent uh, instead of 28. And on the capital gains tax rate, where I think you see that Impact people. It's going to be for the higher income earners, uh, those earning about one million dollars or more, where it could essentially double and going for, where you're taxed at your normal income from essentially twenty to forty percent, just using some easy around numbers. Now there's going to be loopholes uh, to get around that, and there's already I've, <laughs> I've been reading some uh, articles already about some insurance products where you can shelter all of your funds in there and just never pay any capital gains tax on it. So there's there's loopholes, the illegal le-
1: loopholes, and and non.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I think you do see it on the high income earners that you see the capital gains. So you, uh, go up.
1: So you kind of look at things and and think a greater risk for retirees, uh, particularly those maybe in, in higher incomes, um, whatever that means. But um, and and by the way, well, if you, yeah. the average, the av- for the for the average sixty-five year old, sixty-five plus year old, the majority of their income comes from Social Security. So if you're retired, plan, right. you're going to be retiring soon, and, and Social Security is going to be a minority of your income, less than half of your income, you are, by definition, I'm a high-income retiree. the majority so, of our listeners, that is not the case. Correct. That's just my whole point is because okay. someone, someone might think, well, I'm not a high-income person, but relatively, you probably are. And so just kind of going back to what you'd stated, you think a, a bigger risk is what what ta- the tax man could do in the next few years, more so than inflation. Is that right?
4: Yes. What it could do, I'll say, to the stock market, not necessarily to the average person. Okay. And inflation, it's a risk, no doubt. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying one of the – I think taxes could be a bigger risk and it's not really getting uh, as much attention as I think it needs to be. Interesting.
1: All right, let's let's move this over to the Federal Reserve. Federal Reserve, um, they enacted some new tools in the uh, Great Recession. Essentially, started buying. They called it tapering, <laughs> going out and buying uh, bonds. Uh, they didn't call it, what they're calling now is tapering, but going out and buying bonds in in the in the overall market. Um, and then when this pandemic hit, they lowered rates down to essentially nothing. So we're going to go out and buy. All kinds of things in the open marketplace. So
2: so essentially, before where the Federal Reserve just had control over the short end of the yield curve, they now control the whole yield curve. Is that a fair statement?
4: Well, to a degree. uh, They have much less control on the longer end of the yield curve. Those are bonds that have really maturities two years up to 30 years. That's much tougher for them to control. Now, what they are doing by buying – hundred and twenty billion dollars worth of bonds per month Uh, they are attempting to keep the longer term rates uh lower uh and you know you could argue they've been pretty successful on that considering where interest rates are
1: and so there's originally they were going to said they're going to start the reach taper off their purchases reduce them next year now they're saying maybe we'll be doing the latter part of this year um what what is this going to mean for the overall economy
4: Well, what the Fed is doing by buying these bonds, they're making it easier for people to get loans in general, causes a lot more money to be in the economy, which is good for the economy uh, in terms of overall economic growth. Uh, And you could argue this reducing of the purchases. Keep in mind, this doesn't mean they're selling anything. They're reducing purchases. So what I call easy monetary policy or loose monetary policy, it's just going to be less loose and less easy. And that doesn't mean the world's coming to an end, but it certainly could you know, result in some volatility. I mean, we saw that in 2013, when the Federal Reserve did the same thing, when they started to reduce the asset purchases uh, that they were doing as a result of the great financial crisis in 2008 and 2009. So yeah, we could see some volatility. I'll give the Fed some credit though. They have been much more transparent in telegraphing their message out there. 2013 was just, people were just kind of blindsided by what just happened. And that's why you saw the big moves. Now, uh, Chairman, Federal Reserve Chairman uh, Jerome Powell has done a pretty good job at that. And so really what we're going to be looking at is probably an announcement in November of tapering. It might start in November, it might start in December. But November seems the most likely time to make the formal announcement. And if I had to guess, I would say they would be done in about a year's worth as far as that. And then they would keep the balance sheet at the same rate. Now, that assumes there's not any volatility or any sort of chaos along the way. And they have to restart it because things end up not working quite as well as they want. And then the next thing we have to think about is what does that mean for rate hikes? And that's important because the Fed has had a terrible history of hiking us right into a recession.
2: And so when do they actually start getting rid of all the bonds (laughs) on the balance sheet?
4: (laughs) Oh, they will never going to do that. Pat. I mean, they've tried to do that once before. <laughs> uh, so, you know, they tried to do that, and they started to do that a little bit. But in like 2017 and 2018, they were reducing it. Uh, well, started really, I think 2018, and then COVID happened, uh, and then they got it down to about 3.8 trillion. Keep in mind, we started at the Great Financial Crisis, 800 billion. That was the size of the Fed's balance sheet. And they got it up to about four and a half trillion. Uh, what's it today? Around two, 2015 and 14 got down to a little under four. Now we're about 8.3 oh trillion right now. So, so the Fed, I, they're not going to get rid of it. They so did they, they, they just hold
2: the, the bonds till maturity? Is that what happens?
4: Well, they'll hold it to maturity, but in the meantime, uh, if they want to keep their balance sheet at the same level they're going to need to buy replacement bonds Got for it. them. Got it. So yeah. what they did That's in maturing. eighteen and 19, 2019 was they were just letting them expire, not replacing them. Sure. Now uh, Andy? Andy? they will replace them once they get to it. I, 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 listen, uh, thank
2: you for being on the show. We're we
1: out of time. Because this broadcast <laughs> on Terrestrial Radio still, we have <laughs> hard stops. So uh, as always, been great having you with us, Andy. Thank
4: yeah. you. Yeah.
1: And um, anyway, we're out of time. This has been All Worth Money Matters hear every week at the same station, or listen to us via podcast. We'll see you next week.
0: This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.